in, in his time, you know, it's, it's, it's suicide. It's the same with Tony, suicide. And I was never, I was never focused that it's way. Very, it's for very, me, it was, it was never about being the best. I was happy being one of the best. Right. I was trying, don't get me wrong. What, what, what about when this one, what about when this one man was around? Like I said, I was trying. They had promoters that didn't bring them to my side and wouldn't allow me to come to this side unless it was on his turn. Chris, would you have been interested? Before we get to that. See, Allegedly said that you left me a bloody Pope. I don't know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you was high. It, it, it says that, uh, Y'all was on his private jet or something like that? Y'all was Whoa. Like, yeah, that was pretty serious. What's good, people? We're back. The number one podcast in the sport that... Uh, you already know. Um, feels good to actually be able to record, finally. Um, it's been, been a bumpy old week. So I think it's worth explaining what the silence has been down to. So, last Sunday I thought I'd be slick and do some Anderson squats. Feel free to Google and find out what those are. But I thought, let me run the ladder on some Anderson squats. So, you know, casually, 60 for sets of five, or for one set of five, 80 for a set of five, 100 for a set of five, 120 for five, 140 for five, 160 for five, right? That had been the original plan. Go from 60 to 160, do some single leg work, get some food, done. But the body felt really, really good. And I don't know what it is. Like, there's this weird thing that your body does to you, and it goes, there's a lot left in the tank. You've got a choice. You can go home and recover, or you can take a bit more out of this tank. So I thought, no, no, let me just see. 160, not that far from 200. Can we get to 200? So did 180 for five. Did 190 for five on the Anderson squats. I'm like, yeah, this is good. Then put 200 on and said, if I could do five on this, then wow. I don't know. God is great is how I felt. And I think, shout out to anyone that's ever had 200 kilos across their shoulders. There's nothing scarier because you get, you get it both ways, right? You get the compression, right? And the compression is quite scary. But then there's the thing of having to keep it stable as you move because any false move and your back's gone. And bear in mind, this is with no knee sleeves, no wraps, no nothing, no belt. Just civilian clothes, gym bro style. So I did my 500, uh, 200 for 5, and I'm like, okay, good, work done. There was no point in trying to do anything else after that because emotionally I was done. So, yeah, go home, sleep. Monday, body's tingling a bit. I'm like, ooh, don't know if it's supposed to be doing this, guys. But I've still got to train on Monday because I've still got a plan written out. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it. But it wasn't meant to be a crazy day. So it was just just five fives, four exercises. It's enough work, right? If you do the weights right, it's enough work. So five five and 160 kilo on the deadlift. Nice. Nice and light. That's, that's a nice light session. And then some good mornings, um, some zerches. Nah, just, just some big bar stuff. Go home. Can't sleep now. Now that tingles just like essentially liquid fire going through me. I can't sleep. I'm rolling around trying to find a comfortable position. Um, periodically, I'm literally shedding like two liters of sweat. Like I'm sleeping in towels, basically, is how bad it is. 
and like brains like it's just basically my body's gone crazy and it's been like that for the last few days where I just haven't been able to think haven't been able to eat that much haven't been able to function so physically I've just been been shit and it was proving hard to try and record anything because I couldn't hold sentences and stuff like that um but we're over the worst of it now so now I'm seven kilos lighter don't know how but I am seven kilos lighter than I was this time last week and I now feel I can eat again although no the other thing that your nervous system going crazy does is it messes with things like your taste buds, your sense of balance. Like, I'm just having to literally piece together stuff. Like, it's still kind of coming together. It's like a system reboot. So I think it'll be another couple of days till I'm back to normal. And, you know, hey, lesson learned. Don't always chase the numbers. Like, I always said to myself, if I could comfortably squat 200 kilos by the end of the year, I'm happy with that. I was well on track to do that. I didn't need to be a hero in this quarter. But, you know, you get carried away, man. I, I'm not 25 anymore. So lesson learned, man. So there's a lesson for you guys. Don't always take the biggest number in the workout. Lift the number you committed to lifting, then stop. Because recovery is more important than effort. I promise to God. That's my PSA for the day. But let's just jump into what you guys have really tuned in for. Um, I just want to fly through the... The Matchroom Show, because I didn't get a chance to talk about that. And sometimes I do have to give Eddie credit, because I thought that Sunday show was a solid show. My abiding memory of that show is, this is what Next Gen was supposed to be. Right? You give us a fight like a Cody versus Cheslak, or is that his name? And then you give us loads of development fights. And I'm okay with that. You know, Fowler had to bounce back. Uh, Wardley needed to develop... Um, you know, Dempsey McKean was a showcase fight of sorts. Although, I don't... I had to double check that he was actually a 20-fight veteran. At 20 fights, you should be fighting for titles as a heavyweight. So you wonder, like, how good is he? Because that Bracamonte guy is horrible, by the way. He's horrible. But Dave Allen made harder work of it than he needed to. And for Dempsey McKean to be going... Points over eight rounds. What are you going to do with him? Like feed him to Huey Fury. But there's nothing left for him. I think Fabio Wardley crushes him now. And so this is for all the guys who listen in Australia. Why is it that Australian boxers are terrible? Generally terrible. Not all of them. I think amateur level, they get by by essentially having a system dedicated to them. Right? And they are. They've got some good ones. Um... Sky Nicholson can box. She's boxing on the San Diego show that Matchroom have got. So good luck to her. Obviously trained by my good friend Eddie Lamb. But generally, when you look at these Australian boxers, they do okay in the amateurs. And then they turn over and they, they never seem to develop beyond that. It's almost like they just have one way of fighting. And it's quite agricultural, isn't it? It's just throw loads of the basic shots, be fit and be strong. It's just really agricultural. And then when they come up against anyone who's got any kind of 3D boxing ability or an ability to throw a jab, it all falls apart. I don't know what it is. Is it that they're isolated and they never get to see different styles and, you know, they don't get to travel that much? I don't know. But you struggle to name really, really good Australian boxers. Just, just my opinion. I think there's loads of talent there because we know it's a sporty nation. I just don't think they've got good coaches and I don't think their system is designed to 
to create truly elite boxers would be my take on it. But if you look at the card, yeah, I thought all that stuff was solid. I enjoyed seeing Campbell Hatton look like he knows what he's doing. I'm not particularly sold on this idea that we need more of these reality TV projects. I'd like to see Campbell Hatton taken off the grid for a while and just fight here, there and everywhere. We don't always have to see him. You know, there are things that Eddie Hearn gets wrong. One of them is this. If you see someone all the time, you will just build a greater affinity with him. Well, yes, if they're any good. If they struggle, they'll just become a whipping boy. You know, I genuinely believe Conor Ben would have had a better career if his first 10 fights had been off TV. You know, he's had to repair so much negative press and attention because they thrust him in before he was ready and they put him in there without a solid plan of how he should develop and how he should progress. Would be my honest take on it. And it doesn't seem that anyone's learned the lessons from Conor Ben. And we can't keep doing this because you're seeing Johnny Fisher's had a stinker. Um, so now he's got to repair his reputation. Whereas he would have been better off fighting guys like Phil Williams somewhere in Tolworth Leisure Centre. And this points to a, a deeper issue. That boxing's now becoming a sport where you don't pay any dues. That's the real worry. It's a sport where you do not pay your dues. But it's a sport built by people that paid their dues. Right? I look at a kid like Yusuf Kamari. Yusuf Kamari's paid his dues. He's come up the amateur system. He's done the tournaments. He's been through all of this. He's done the sparring and, you know, where he wasn't paid for it. He's done the small hall scene. You know, he's done, the he's, done, he's done all of that. He's paid his dues. And you look at him now and you go, there's a fighter that's an entertaining guy and should be on TV more often than he is. I'd even go so far as to say he's probably one of the more compelling characters in boxing and he doesn't get the attention he deserves. Mainly because he's quite, quite low-key and humble. But it's also because we get flooded with these media studies projects, right? Of this guy and that guy. And, mate, watch this fighter's video. He's going to be amazing. And you're like, who is he? Ah, oh, he's a kid we found in, I don't know, filed amateur boxing club. And you know what? He hit a bag and he left a dent in it. So we know he's going to be a world champion. This is what you get now on social media. So I'm like, okay, what has he won? And who has he fought? Who has he beaten? Uh, he, he hasn't had his first fight yet. Oh, so you want me to get excited about a kid who hasn't had a fight yet? And you're telling me he's going to be a world champion. So this kid's paid no dues. And all of a sudden you're making these videos. Is this about the fighter or is this about you? And most of the time we've got this problem now where everyone's trying to jump on the next big thing. And they say, if I can't find it, I'm going to create it. So you waste all that time and all those DSLR cameras and your two grand lenses and your lights and this, picking up these kids and you don't know if they're any good or not. Because they haven't paid their dues. Kids like Johnny Fisher haven't paid their dues. Campbell Hatton has paid his dues because he's done the amateurs. Conor Ben did the amateurs, so I'm not going to say he hasn't paid his dues, but a lot of these guys you're seeing come on TV have not paid their dues. And the thing about paying dues is it builds a foundation for success. Because you understand where it can go if you don't dedicate yourself. And fans don't call for that anymore. And that means that your screens are 
filled up with these media studies projects, these business studies experiments, all this sort of nonsense that you don't care about because they're brainwashed you into believing that it's about the clicks and the views and the social media engagement. Listen, boxing's about the fight. You can either fight or you can't. It's as simple as that. You know, let's stop overcomplicating the thing. You can either fight or you can't. And with Campbell Hatton, we're still trying to work out can the kid fight or not? I tell you who can fight though, and I'm gonna be honest, I tell you who can damn well fight. Jordan Gill. Like, whatever you want to say about Jordan Gill, and I think the guy's had one of the what one of those underwhelming careers. It's not like when he retires, it's not gonna be a memorable career. And that's not a bad thing. Sometimes you're just not meant to be the reincarnation of Prince Nassim Hamid, and that's fine. You know. But Jordan Gill has always given solid entertaining fights. Whether he wins or loses doesn't matter. They're entertaining enough. And the fight he had on Sunday against Gerhi, the, the MTK guy. Now that's what you call literally snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. I had an issue with the fight because as soon as Caldwell told Jordan Gill to just lay on the ropes. Number one, I think that's good advice by the way. So kudos to Dave for presence of mind and tactical acumen and massive red cross to the other guy I think he's French to the other guy's corner for not having the common sense to say mate just stand in the middle of the ring and the ref will have to drag him from the corner I thought that was the least intelligent boxing display I have ever seen where you just gave the guy a reason to lay on the ropes for as long as he wanted it was embarrassing but Jordan pulls the win out I saw that and I thought, I think the referee should have intervened because it's generally accepted you can't let the ropes hold you up. That's the whole point. If you get hit and you fall on the ropes and it's like, well, the ropes weren't there, would you be on the floor? In Jordan Gill's case, probably. And the ref did nothing about that. So we're going to come on to the Cattrall-Taylor situation. Yeah, but this is another thing we need to look at, why the ref didn't do his job. Because that's not fair play. You're, you're essentially there, leaning on the ropes, going, oh, on, oh, no, on the turnbuckle. Yeah, on that padding, going, well, anytime he hits me, he's going to fall into this, and this is going to absorb the punch, and it's going to take my weight. So my legs don't feel the strain. I'm not saying that Jordan Gill cheated. I don't believe he did. I think it's the referee's job to make sure Jordan Gill understands the rules. Although I don't understand the rules. I'm not going to lie. I just know that you're not supposed to do that. And before anybody says, well, isn't that what Muhammad Ali did against George Foreman? No. Because at no point were Muhammad Ali's legs gone. Muhammad Ali literally just went wherever he wanted, whenever he wanted. Right? He did. And if you watch that fight, you'll see Muhammad Ali was well in control of what Foreman was doing. He let Foreman bore in with his head, held his head, spoke to him, talked to him, did all of those things. But he wasn't leaning on the ropes. Like you heard the instructions from Dave. If your legs are gone, just go and lean in that corner. Do not leave the corner. Ali moved up and down those ropes as he needed to. So no, I don't think these are they're not identical situations. I don't even think they're comparable, if I'm being honest with you. But but when the knockout when it came was a moment where we just went, Jesus, that's why I love this sport. That's why I love this sport. Just that raw emotion, like you saw the crowd were just like, I can't believe what I've just seen. Like, I'm still like, wow. 
out of nowhere, short right hand, just, ooh, you know, half an inch up, half an inch down, it doesn't have the same effect, but he just nailed that. And kudos to him. So now, let's, let's see what he can do with that, but I'm not... I'm not ready for what Hearn's going to start spinning. Now we're going to start hearing that Jordan Gill's a puncher. Now we're going to start hearing that, you know what, Jordan Gill's never out of a fight. Anytime he could just detonate that big right hand and it's all over. And you're like, oh God, we're doing this one now. So, no, I don't want to sound too down on Hearn because actually I thought the Sunday show was good. I thought, why wasn't next gen like that? That's what someone needs to ask him. That's what Umar Ahmed needs to say. Well, if you can do a Sunday show like that, why couldn't you have done that on a Wednesday night? Why? Because I don't imagine that show made a loss. It's not an expensive show to put together. So why couldn't he have done that before? Instead of, uh, yeah, he just he bastardized it after a while. And I guess it shows it. even Eddie Hearn makes mistakes. But no, that Sunday show was good. If that's what Sunday boxing is going to be, I can get on board with that. You know, I can get on board with that if that's like the where the second tier guys go to learn their craft. Cool. Do it, by all means. But let's not start trying to blend the two. Uh, main event of Coley. Ah, Coley just being a Coley. I think, I think he's so much better than everyone in that division. I include Marius Bradis in that, who is a clown. I, I mean, why would you come... As Super Mario, if you're a serious champion, like just a bit of a joke to be honest with you. So I have no interest in him. I think Lawrence is the main man in that division. I think people know that, and that's why they're scared of him. And think about it, he hasn't even unleashed his potential yet because he still feels the need, and I guess it's what British trainers teach you, right? Step forward, jab. It's the first thing you learn when you go into a gym. It's the worst thing you learn, by the way, but it's the first thing that you learn. So what's the root cause of this? Most trainers teach what they were taught. So they don't invest time in trying to understand like the, the underlying purpose of what you're meant to do in a boxing ring. They don't invest time in that because it's, not, it's no interest to them. So they, they go, right, step forward, jab, step back, jab. They never say, actually, look, your jab can come from anywhere. Yeah, your jab can actually come from anywhere. And in, in Lawrence's case, I think he's still learning that, that he doesn't even have to step forward and jab. You know, he's, his arms are so long that he's fine wherever he is. And I think once he nails that, and he moves a bit laterally when he's trying to attack, like, oh, geez, like, people, people will get absolutely slaughtered. You'll see those kind of Tommy Hearns-type knockouts. And that's what I'm looking forward to with the Cody, because I think, I think Shane's got the, the right idea on where he needs to improve. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with that. They're talking about the heavyweight stuff now, so we know that moves imminent next 12 months or so. Hey, that's going to be interesting. You know, because I, I don't know if it works as well with the heavyweights. Can can Lawrence Cody be that physically strong and dominant against some of these heavyweights? I don't necessarily think so. So he's going. He's going to have to have the skill set. He's going to have to be a bit more skillful. And he's going to have to understand how to move laterally because they ain't going to let you come in forward. But we'll see how it goes. But yeah, kudos to him. I think he's been one of the few post-2016 success stories on Matchroom, I think. But it seems to have just come off 
come off his own back. Like he's just taken a few risks and said, I'm Lawrence Okoli, I'll, I'll define myself. And it seems to have worked pretty well for him. And he's slowly becoming a fan favourite. So, yeah, I'm definitely happy for him. So, we're, we're, a week, we're a week removed from Taylor Cattrall. And I think everyone's had their say on the matter, right? I mean, God, even I've had my say. It shows how long it's been since I recorded. But I see people banging the drum going, Ah, finally... Sky have had enough of the board and this guy's complaining and that guy's complaining and when I heard all of this I, I understood what was happening here and it's a bit of a sorry dance that seems to happen a lot and it looks good for the public and it's fantastic for your brand if you're the guys making the noise this is great for your brand but the truth is not much will change right because the phone calls will happen. Robert Smith will be calling up Adam Smith going, look, you can't be doing that in public, man. You're, you're making the board look bad here. And then someone at Sky will say, no, 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 look, we had to do that because we had to position Ben Shalom as the voice of the fans. We had to get our guy over. This was the perfect opportunity to do that. We wouldn't have had this any other way. And remember, they did this with Eddie. In the old days, when Eddie would complain about the judging and the refing and all of this, and we we're like, "Yeah, Eddie's the voice of the fans." Remember when he had like the the receding island of hair, and that was like you know like real hardcore Eddie, and he was like that, and that's what Sky did. They built him up as you know this is the guy who will speak for the fans, he'll fight for the fans, he's the people's champion, and that's how Eddie got his rub in the sport, and it's how he managed to sign the people he did, and they've done the same with Ben Shalom to say, "Look, this guy will." fight for his people he'll fight for what's right and it's a great marketing ploy to get people to come and join sky and boxer it's not stupid like they, they really use this to to cross ben shalom over it's like if you go back to 1997 before the montreal screw job in the wwf as it was then no one really knew who Vince McMahon was. Like, if you had followed the steroid trial, you knew he owned the company, but you didn't really know. Like, you could forget that quickly. After the Montreal screw job, when he became front and center, he crossed over into a new dimension and became probably one of the greatest heels in wrestling history. And Ben Shalom's got the opportunity to become that baby-faced promoter, you know, who all the fans love and he's on the fans side all the time and he'll do what's right for the fans. And I think it's great marketing and it's great positioning for him because up until this point, not that he'd been anonymous, but he hadn't had a real reason to be vocal. And now that he has, he's bared his teeth and he's shown who he is. And I think the fans will appreciate that, but it's almost like, okay, but what's your next trick? Because <laughs> what we can't have is we can't have you telling us that this will never happen again on a Sky show, and then it happens again. Because then you lose credibility. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword, and he's got to be careful how he plays this one. But kudos to him for, 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 for seizing the opportunity is the best way I'd describe it. So a week later, where are we on this? Like I've said, I don't think much will happen. I think there'll be some hand-wringing. Ian John Lewis will be told... Don't make your scorecard so crazy next time. And you go, okay, sorry, my mistake. And everyone will just carry on as normal. Um, what does that mean for Jack Cattrall? I don't think anything has changed for Jack Cattrall, right? He was going to get the same money whether he beat Taylor or not, right? 
And if he won, he'd have to have vacated those bars. It's too expensive to keep them. And who would he have fought anyway? He'd have probably fought Progre. For whatever bells he had kept, he would have fought Progre. He can still fight Progre now for one of the vacant belts. Would he get the same money? Probably. So in net terms, he won't be any worse off. And I don't want people saying, well, he, he could have been undisputed. He would never have been undisputed, for God's sake, because he didn't bring the belts together. In the same way that Usyk's not unified. He hasn't unified anything. That's the whole point of these titles. Like when you say someone's a unified cruiserweight champion like Okoli plans to be, Okoli has to unify the belts. And then he has to get the other two to become undisputed. That's what Josh Taylor had to do. It's what Terence Crawford had to do. It's what Errol Spence is going to have to do. You have to bring the belts together. So no, Jack Cattrall would never have been undisputed. He'd have held four belts, but that doesn't mean he's undisputed. Because there's a load of people that can beat Jack Cattrall. So he's not undisputed. You know, O'Hara Davis would dispute that. Josh Taylor was undisputed because there was no question when he beat Ramirez. No question on his record. So yeah, let's not, let's not talk this nonsense that Jack Cattrall could have been undisputed. He couldn't have been. But he's still going to make good money because they, they have to make good on him. Yeah, he's, he's, he's backed by the right people. So you'll see all's well that ends well, is how I'd look at this one. After that, I don't know. But they'll make it right in this fight. And then it's up to Cattrall to find a more entertaining style. Because that zero commitment style, that will turn fans off real quick. Because not everyone's going to run in like a, like a madman the same way that Taylor did. And when they don't, you know, you'll realize why you never used to watch Jack Cattrall in the beginning. That is what I would say on that. I say good luck to him. I hope he makes enough money to feed his family because really that's what he's in this for. But he'll do well to move on and stop playing the victim because we've kind of shed all the tears we can for him and now he's got to start pushing for those fights of Progray, Ramirez and so forth. He's got to take charge of his career now because he won't get a platform like this again. Because what better, what better bait is there, right? Where you can go... If you're pro-grey, you fight Cattrall, and you go, I just beat the guy that beat Josh Taylor. Yeah? I deserve a rematch with Josh Taylor. 147-144, doesn't matter. And then if you're Cattrall, and you're like, I beat Taylor, and I beat Progray. So I'm really this number one guy. They all talk about undisputed, this undisputed, that. I'm the number one guy in this division. And then I hope he gives O'Hara Davis a rematch. Because if we're talking about justice, then... You know, we must right all wrongs. And he should give O'Hara Davis a rematch. And see if he fancies that work. But maybe O'Hara will wait till he's got a belt. And then they'll make that fight happen. But well, what does this mean for Josh Taylor? Like, his, his reputation is not in tatters. But there's definitely a bit of shine taken off the, the Josh Taylor image at the moment. Now... There was a time when we looked at him and went, nah, this guy's pretty complete. I don't think he's an easy fight at 140, and he's definitely not an easy fight at 147. After Saturday, he is an easy fight at 147. I, I think Terence Crawford would have stopped him. I think Terence Crawford would have torn him apart. Because what Crawford has that Capital doesn't is his spite. And as soon as he's got you going once, he'll have you going again and again and again until, until you give up. Like, he'll break you mentally. And 
that version of Taylor and Sasse didn't seem to have a plan B for anything. And I think... Um, if you look at what Shane McGuigan said on Sunday about the Taylor performance, then he said, that's not a Josh Taylor performance. And maybe it hints at some of the issues those two had because, you know, Shane quite rightly made reference to Taylor wanting to box differently than he did after the pro-grade fight. And Shane rightly said, well, maybe you want to go back to that pro-grade fight and go, that's the best version of Josh Taylor. Now, a lot, when you've got a good trainer, they know who you are. And the aim of a good trainer is to combine who you are as a person intrinsically, not, not the media image, who you are when everything's stripped away with how you box. That way you can churn out that performance every time. Now, if Josh is trying to change his style to be a bit more of a, a thinking boxer with this, that, and this, it's not going to work. Like, you're 31. You're not, you're not going to be more like Terence Crawford. In the same way, Amir Khan was never going to be more like Andre Ward by going to Virgil Hunter. These things do not work. I don't care how many video analyses um, Ben Davidson and that other clown Lee Wiley do. And just all those clowns, I don't care what they do, they will never turn Josh Taylor into anything other than Shane created. Because don't you think Shane would have considered all of these possibilities? They need to go, nah, Josh can't do that. It's too far gone. He can't do that. We don't have time to do that. Because remember, once you become undisputed, you, there are no learning fights. Right? There are no learning fights for Josh Taylor now. It's all money fights. And money fights mean that you perform. If you're having to go away and learn stuff, maybe you're done at the top. And it's a reminder to people. Be careful what trainer you choose. Because a year ago, we were all talking about, oh, are they going to put Ben Davis on the list for trainer of the year? That was, that was the noise. That was the energy. Now you're looking at it and you're like, if Lee Wood loses to Mick Conlon, ben, ben, Ben's, Ben's in a sunken place. You know? He's in a sunken place. And all of that talk he was doing and all those times, and, and it's not his fault. It's the, it's the camera jockeys. It's the people who suddenly have accountability for boxing content that don't know the sport. It's their fault. It's these media studies graduates who run around with cameras going, oh my God, that guy is everywhere. He must be the number one trainer. And so they get Ben Davidson in and Ben, ben, ben spent three weeks preparing for a two-minute segment, right? So he's going he's gonna to sound like he knows what he's talking about until people ask him like the most obvious questions and all that stuff falls apart. So... You buy into this hype because people keep telling you, yeah, the intelligent Ben Davison, the up-and-coming trainer Ben Davison, the complete trainer Ben Davison, all of this stuff, right? And this isn't stuff that he says. This is what the world say. And then eventually you get high, man, off your own, you get half your own buzz. And now the poor guy's now realizing it's a long old slog. I wouldn't be surprised if Taylor leaves him. And I think it would make sense for Taylor to leave him. Can he ever go back to Shane? I don't know. Is there even room for him with Shane? Don't know. But here's what I would say. If I had a young fighter right now, would I want them with Ben Davidson? No. 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 Fuck no.
I don't believe Ben would teach him anything. I don't even think he'd get them fit. Like, what the hell is this MTK Performance Center? What is performance about it? Like, you got, you got 25 stone of Barry Smith. What is performance about this place? You got Lee Wiley. They found this guy on YouTube. What is performance about this? Where are the wise old heads? Where are the people who really understand the craft? Where's that knowledge? Oh, well, Ben went to America and asked these people these questions. And based on that, he's come here and he's built this performance center. It didn't work with Josh. If you walk through the doors to that MTK Performance Center, you've gone there based on reputation. You haven't gone there based on ability and results because Ben Davidson did not create Josh Taylor. He did not create Billy Joe Saunders. He did not create Tyson Fury. He, didn't, he could never have done any of those. He doesn't have the knowledge. He doesn't have the experience. And he doesn't have the gravitas. Devin Haney was pretty much complete by the time he was 17. Now, don't forget how many fights Devin Haney's already had. So, MTK Performance Center, performing what? Nothing. It's not elite. EIS, Sheffield, that's elite. Why? Because you have performance analysts. That's what makes it a performance center. There are performance analysts, there are performance plans. They're performance managers. That's what makes it a performance center. McCracken is director of performance. The MTK Performance Center is a boxing gym. That's all it is. And whatever MTK are paying towards that, they're not going to get their return on investment. Because you basically just got I don't know, Krusty the Clown and his Merry Men and Sideshow Bob and whoever the hell it is. And I'm like, thanks, but no thanks. And people can say this is just a blip in Ben Davis. It's not a blip. It's a fundamental problem in that how does Ben Davison want his fighters to box? You can't, you can't be like, well, we're going to do all of this analysis and then work out that Josh needs to be like this, like this, like this for this fight. And then rip all of that up and start again for the next fight. You can't. Because what you're saying is the opponent is more important than your fighter. The great trainers have a singular vision on how you box. And they say it's up to the rest of the world to solve our problem. We are the problem. You ever want to find a fight, uh, trainer for your fighter? And I know there are people listening to this that are umming and ahhing about these things. If you've got a fighter, relative, whatever, and you want to find a good trainer, if they don't have a singular vision about boxing and it's been made to work, write them off. Look at that dude, what's his name? <laughs> if, we, if we want to talk about rapid rises and falls, Joby Clayton. <laughs> Joby, when Joby was just Firewalker Joe, he was cool. Humble guy. Yeah, you could talk to him. Right, yeah, I'm right, lad, I'm right, yeah. Just getting on, right, yeah, 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 I'm right, yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay, lovely guy, lovely. He starts working with Joshua. And this guy's writing like, like he thinks he's Sun Tzu and he's just writing all of this nonsense about 
ah, oh, you've got to fly. And I'm like, oh, mate, shut up. That's all you, you read stuff, you mate, just shut up, man. Like, what, just because you got some Joshua love? And then what happened? When all of that, that Cuban loose this, loose that stuff turned out to be snake oil, Joshua just cut him off. It's like, nah, 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 nah. We don't need this Joby guy. Now Joby's a good, there's no one. No one. You're right back down to zero, man. Still, still trying to spout that same nonsense, but it don't hit the same when you're not linked to Joshua. Meanwhile, Joshua's made, Joshua's made his bet and said, listen, I'll be here with Angel Fernandez until, until I find a proper trainer. So Angel will just keep him busy until he gets a proper trainer. But here's the paradox of it. This means the Usyk fight doesn't happen until the tail end of the summer. We're in March now. Confirm your trainer by mid-March, end of March. Then you, even if you start a camp in April, man, you're looking at July at the earliest. God knows where Usyk will be by then. Maybe the belts will have to be scattered. Maybe Usyk would have to vacate. And I think that would be sensible for him to vacate. And then just have Joshua versus Wilder. I still think that's the biggest fight in world boxing. Joshua v. Wilder. If Usyk had to vacate because he's taken up arms. And on a side note, respect to him for taking up arms for his country. I think that's how every grown man should feel. Now... That also means it's on the country to make all of its citizens feel loved and welcomed in that way that they'd want to take up arms. And it seems that Ukraine have done a good job of doing that. So kudos to him and Loma and all those guys. And I, I'm even okay with, with what they're doing just being publicity and morale shots. I'm okay with that because they don't have to fight. They've done enough for their country. They have Olympic gold medals, for God's sake. But, you know, stay safe. And if, they mean, if it means they have to vacate the belts, cool. Let Joshua and Wilder fight for those. That's what that's that's what I would say. But you know, you're there with all of these guys, Joby, Angel Fernandez, and Oh god, I lost my train of thought. So we'll talk about the fight not happening. So all of these guys end up with well, all these snake oil salesmen, but you notice in all the names I've mentioned of trainers, none of these guys have pedigree. None of these guys have pedigree. Ben Davis and no real pedigree. Joby Clayton, definitely no pedigree. Angel Fernandez, no pedigree. How have people been allowed to get to the top level in a sport like boxing where the stakes are so high with no pedigree? How has this been allowed? What sort of confidence tricks are you, are you basically playing on these unintelligent boxers to make this happen? I said this, if you remember after the Usyk fight and I told you, Team Joshua's in disarray because we don't know who the boxing people are in that gym. They say they've got a head of boxing operations. I'm like, but that's not even a boxing person. So how are they head of boxing operations? Number two, when are they going to build Joshua's gym? They've been talking about this for God knows how long. When are they going to build the gym? It... The last six months are the first time we felt that that team Joshua's a bit of a shambles at the moment. No matter what he tries to say about being smart about this, about that, it's all a bit of a shambles. Like, they don't seem to be bringing on any new sponsors. They don't seem to be doing anything groundbreaking. They just seem happy with their lot. Just, wow, we'll just go and get some money in Dubai and come back. I don't know if that's good enough, but hey, that's not for me to judge because I don't spend their money. But in summary, the MTK Performance Center 
it's not a performance center. And Ben Davison is realizing that this game is a lot harder than it looks. And nothing, and I repeat, nothing replaces pedigree and nothing replaces tenure in the sport. You cannot figure this out on a spreadsheet. You cannot figure this out on YouTube. You cannot short circuit this. You cannot find shortcuts to this. Because if you could, someone else would have already done so. Elite trainers are 90% about what you leave out and 10% about what you put in. You only learn the 90% through trial and error. So if you're making choices about who to train with, pick, a, pick pedigree over everything. So can someone explain to me why Dillian didn't show up? Like, I'm hearing all of this, they didn't do this, they didn't do that, they didn't do this. Um... Okay, but you're Dillian White. You're respected in the sport. If you need tickets for your people, it will be sorted. These things normally get cleaned up anyway, right? Like no one's going to do him wrong because it's like you're helping us make a, a ton of money here. So what do you need? You need tickets for these people? We'll do that. It strikes me as Dillian being badly advised, but he's been badly advised his whole career. That's why he's in the position he's in where he's had to take 20%. Because Hearn said, I ain't going to pay you what they're paying you. And historically, it doesn't seem that he's ever paid him close to that. So this idea that Eddie wants the best for Dillian, well, clearly not when it comes to getting paid. So, so Dillian decides to play hardball over these things. You can't use my image. You can't use this. You can't use that. And I look at that and I go, it takes more energy to step outside your usual fight flow than it does to go with that. And what I mean by that is, in every other fight, Dillian's cooperated, right? He's cooperated, he's entertained, he's got in the face of his opponent, he's, got under the, he's done all of those things. And there's been a standard Dillian White formula that we're all comfortable with. And it helps us build support, love, esteem for dealing all these sorts of things. It's the right thing to do. To go from a whole decade of doing that to now you want to change that. It takes more out of him than it does anyone else. Because Fury showed up and did what he does. Like not, Fury's not disrupted in any way. He came, he talked, he did his photographs, he did his job and he went home. Now, now, look, Dillian's on the back foot having to explain all of these things. That guy, what do they call him? Is it Jeffrey Benz, his advisor? I don't care how much experience that guy has in sports law. What he's not is he's not a boxing person. And when you're not a boxing person, you're not advising Dillian in that holistic manner that you should, where you should say, look, you're only really hurting the fans by doing this. Is that what you want to do? If that's what you want to do, cool, but... You're only hurting the fans and you're hurting yourself because it's more effort not to do this than it is to do it. And I, I just have a feeling that this, come, this will come back to bite him on the ass when, when he gets stopped. And it's like, all of that fuss, all of that noise, all that thousand days, man, all of this, and you're just laid out on the canvas. And I hope it doesn't end that way, by the way, because I'd quite like to see this be an epic fight. But when you... When you break the conventions of fight promotion, yeah, your, your lack of compliance becomes a stick you get beaten with. 
And I hope that's not the case, but it, there's a real risk that's going to happen. So I'm hoping from here on in, Dillian plays ball because I think it's just easier. Spiritually, it's easier. You're not going to get under Tyson Fury's skin. Tyson Fury's been fighting his whole life. People have been getting under his skin for God knows how long. At this elite level, it's hard to get under someone's skin. Now, from a fight perspective, Dillian is probably nervous. And there are a number of reasons why. I don't think Dillian does well against tall guys. If you look at Dillian's best performances, they're against guys who are around 6'3 and below. Anything like, like, he, like he'd struggle against a Brazil. Not for any other reason than the height. The height will be a massive thing because what it means is as good as Dillian's jab is, if you're giving up inches in that jab, then it's hard. If you're giving up inches to Fury, it's hard to, to use that jab. And that big bowling right hand that he throws, taller guys see that from a mile away. So what shots are you going to hit him with? What, double jab, right hook to the body? Okay, never seen that before. There's nothing else. I genuinely think the pressure was intended to force Fury to vacate. Here's the truth. They never wanted to fight Tyson Fury. People will tell you different stories. I don't believe for a second Dillian wanted to fight Tyson Fury. When Wilder held the belt, it looked like an easy belt to take. Ah, you know what, Wilder, he doesn't throw enough punches, he hasn't got the ring IQ, you can get him with shots. But as it turned out, actually, De Deontay Wilder's got a hell of a chin. So you are fighting the 12 rounds of nothing else, that's for sure. Whereas, now when you look at it with Fury, you're really having to go and take that belt against a guy that can do it all. You're having to take that belt against a guy who can do it all. That's not what you signed up for. When Hearn guided you on this mission, it's not what you signed up for. You thought you were just taking the belt of Wild and you could unify with Joshua. But even if you did win this WBC belt, you've got to unify against Usyk. Ah, God. Now, I guess it's horses for courses, isn't it? But it's crazy how... Both Joshua and Dillian have just sort of been revealed to be not quite at that elite level. And it's a testament to the strength of British boxing that we boosted both guys to the point where they were considered two of the four best heavyweights on the planet. With questionable CVs, by the way. Like, we're still, we're still calling AJ's best win, Klitschko. And Dillian's best win is a COVID-riddled Povetkin. Wow, like, ah, there you go. There you go, boxing in 2022. What can you say? Let, let's just move briefly on to, to the, the sort of growing story, which is Kelbrook Amir Khan 2. And I'm here for that fight, see? And I'll tell you why I'm here for that fight. Because when the first fight happened, I said they stopped it too soon and everyone criticized me. Yeah? People said, oh, mate, I normally listen to your podcast and I agree with everything you say, but you're wrong about this one. What did you want? Did you want Khan laid out on his back? In my head, I wanted to say, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. And I knew why. 
You see, when they stopped the fight the way they did, when, to be honest, Khan wasn't even taking the heaviest shots he had taken in the fight. And I said, they're giving Khan a way out here. This, this isn't resolution. When, when you've got a rivalry like this, when you've got a beef this intense, someone has to go out on their back. Froch Groves 2, the reason you never heard about a third fight was the way the second ended. The reason you, want, the reason you had a second fight was because of the way the first one ended. And the fans haven't learned from that. And I wish they would. Brooks should have been allowed to vanquish Khan. There would have been no talk about a rematch clause. But now Amir Khan's had time to think and he's like, yeah, stoppage is a bit premature. If I look at the camp, I probably overtrained, and that's why my legs were heavy. If I did a bit less, I could, probably could have done a lot more. I didn't need to be in that kind of shape to beat Kel Brook. Maybe if I come in lighter, I can get faster. If I train with this guy, I can do this. Now in your head, you're like, I can see how a second fight could be different. Right? And all the fans will say, nah, 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 he could never win that. I'm like, once, once Amir Khan starts thinking in those terms, he just needs the right people to validate that. And he'll go, right, give me the rematch. Why should Conor Ben get that money? Let me get that money. Because it affected him. You know, Khan woke up and realized, I lost to Kel Brook. I can't retire like that. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if it does happen. I hope his wife is smart enough to convince him not to. But if the second fight happened, I'll watch it again. Because it's a different proposition this time. Khan was the guy that had nothing to prove in the first fight. Kel would be the guy that's got nothing to prove in the second fight. Now the question is, could Khan go to Helen back to salvage his legacy? Is there anything left? Is there that one last epic performance left? We don't know. It will be a different dynamic in the second fight for sure. Whether I, want, uh, I do want to see it, but whether the public want to see it, I'm not so sure. But is it better than Kelbrook versus Conor Ben? And what did they say? They said Kelbrook asked for 10 million to fight Conor Ben. He didn't, by the way. It wasn't anywhere near 10 million. It's just that Hearn doesn't want to spend money on Kelbrook. He never has done. Even when Kel had the IBF belt, he did not want to spend money on him. And I don't know why. I genuinely don't know why. I'm of the view that Hearn's just not the best payer in boxing. And. Whatever he tells those guys at IFL, well, except for Umar Ahmed, who he can't lie to, but to all the other ones that he lies to, he talks about he makes fair and generous offers. Here's, here's the standard Eddie Hearn thing. We made a generous offer to Cambosis' people. right? And at this point, we're like, well, what's, what's a generous offer? Five million? Ten million? Well, we made a generous offer. And then Lou DiBella goes, no, we haven't received an offer. And then you go back and say, well, Lou says he hasn't received them. Yeah, well, we sent an email. So, like, so you haven't really made an offer. You just emailed saying how much would it cost. And these are the lies that you guys have been lapping up from Eddie Hearn for all this time. And you still watch his videos. Explain to me why you watch his videos. I've never understood that. Because he doesn't give you information. He just lies to you. So what do you watch him for? So no, Ben was never going to fight Kelbrook. Well, after that performance against Khan, he was never going to fight, man. Because for all of Conor Ben's development as a boxer, here's something that hasn't improved. He hasn't learned how to time punches.
And see the elite level guys? Have elite level timing. And they know how to time shots. So guys will catch Connor Ben coming in with those wild hooks. He will get broken down and taken apart. Tony Sims will know that. That's why if you notice, Connor Ben has fought the same standard of, of opponent for God knows how long. Different names, different ages, different legacies, but they're the same standard of opponent. He's, he hasn't stepped up. He hasn't fought a real gatekeeper, a guy that tells you whether you've got it or not. He hasn't. He hasn't even done that at domestic level because he hasn't got timing. You can only put Conor Ben in there with guys he can bomb out. Like he's not going to outbox people because of that lack of timing. And that's not his fault. But when you're in an environment, in a gym, where no one knows how to time shots, you're never going to learn how to do it. That's, that's the cold, ruthless reality of this thing we call boxing. If you don't know how to time, you'll never be elite. So I'm just reading that this Chocolatito Martinez fight is descending into fast because the kid just couldn't make weight at the weigh-in. Then it said, look, don't weigh more than 126 pounds. It looks like he's 132. Uh, he's a bit of a mess all round. So I don't know what you do with that fight because Chocolatito's not a big guy. So you can't, he can't be giving up too much weight. It, it, it feels very sloppy from, from the way I look at it. And... I hope Eddie Lamb now understands why I asked the question about you know, you making sure that the weight's all good. Because there's something about being in America that sets you off. I remember when I first went to America, this is years ago now, and I went up like four kilos. Three days, I was up four kilos. And it wasn't like I was eating excessively. There was just something. My body was holding on to stuff. It just... It, it wasn't good. It took me about six to seven days to really settle down. And so I could understand how people can't make weight or their body just starts acting outside of itself when you go there. Because they have stuff in their food that doesn't make sense. Like most of their food is just a lab experiment really, isn't it? But hopefully that fight goes ahead and the card can still go through. Because I'd quite like to see the debut of Sky Nicholson. So there's a good chance to see what Eddie Lamb's been working on. Because I saw her in the amateurs. And I knew where the development points were. So this is going to be a, a good examination of where the progress has been made against those. But I'm happy for Ed. I think it's been good that he's going to get some limelight and get some attention. And, you know, he's also embracing it because I, Ed's old school. There's no question about that. Ed's old school. And I think he'd always erred away from being too media friendly. And the reason I say that is he's surrounded by people who... Who, who, who are anti these sorts of things, but they do it from a position of ignorance and not really understanding that you can do interviews and still be old school because old school is about time served, right? You don't lose that by doing interviews. And I think it would just be good for Ed. Like, I think if you're a fighter below 160 pounds and you want to work with someone good, you work with Ed. Great environment in that gym. And I think it's been good for Sky Nicholson, actually, because... Imagine she'd come over here and trained somewhere. I can't even think off the top of my head, but she might have just been with like a one-man band. Whereas she's got like a surrogate family in the iBox lot, which I think has been good for her and helped her settle. And it's been good for her pro development because there are people her size. 
So I think they've really looked after her. Now, hopefully, Eddie's now got the same respect for Eddie Lamb that a lot of us do. And whether Eddie Lamb becomes a new Tony Sims, I don't know. But it wouldn't be a bad move on Matchroom's behalf because you know what you're getting with Eddie. But I want to touch on something briefly because Matchroom released that body sparring footage of Eddie and Frank Smith. And so there are two things we learned from that. One, neither of those guys has had a serious fight in their life. Right? They both looked, they looked scared and distressed in that ring. Even though the punches that were coming back weren't even that hard. And they had baby gloves on. So Eddie's 111 kilos and it looked like he had 12s on. Frank Smith had to be 120. And he looked like he had 12s on. There may have been 10 ounce fight gloves. But those gloves... The fact that... Frank only got dropped once with 12 ounce gloves shows you the punch power because I'd have had my pillows on and Frank would they'd never have gone more than one round. Never. He'd have been chopped. Both of them would have been chopped. But, you know, I don't know. People say that's good content. It just validates everything that we've been saying. That guy didn't fight anyone. Don't think he's ever been in a fight in his life. Just don't believe he has. He, he had that kind of bully look on Frank once he knew he could get him to the body. But there was no, there's no real technique there where you'd be impressed with what, what you're seeing. But he's old, though. What's Eddie now? 43? Nah, he's an old man now. He's not, and he's not dedicated to the craft. So, of course, he's going to look like that. But nah. <laughs> let's, let's hear no more talk of Billericay Boxing Club, Eddie Hills, all of that stuff. That was just a lie. That fat dude they got to validate it, all a lie. And then when, when I pulled Coogan up about this and said, you were part of that lie, he, he went running for the hills. <laughs> Stop believing the media outlets. Um, just close off with just a few bits and bobs. So massive shout out to, to Damien Lithgow, uh, coach up in Yorkshire. So I think he was involved with the Yorkshire team that boxed the Isle of Man. So they had a, a tournament, which is good in post-COVID times. It's good to see people traveling for the boxing. And I think the sum total of that was a draw between both sides. So all's well, that ends well. And it was nice to see uh, Danny Watney was judging at that. So shouts out to Danny. Danny genuinely, <laughs> like, Danny was properly suited up. So now, I, and he had this real, because he sent me a picture. And he looked like he was taking it super seriously. And I was almost like, can we send that to Ian John Lewis and go, mate, this is how you do your damn job. But it was good to see him. It's a shame that I wasn't able to connect the dots earlier. It would have been good for Damien and Danny Watley to meet up, man. If the podcast can bring people together and keep that boxing community tighter, fantastic. Man, I saw that they had uh, Danny Thornton, who runs the detox gym up in Leeds. Still one of my favorite facilities up north, man. It's a really nice gym. So shouts out to him as well. I used to train up there before Sam Smith opened up Alliance over the other side of Leeds at Crossgates. Gotta look at me with my historical knowledge. So now shouts out to those guys. There's a return leg in the Isle of Man. So if you're in the Isle of Man, make sure you go and watch it. If not, man, show some support. So big shout out to, to Damien and the guys. Uh, this is how it all starts, man. I mean, these are the sorts of things where memories are made. Uh, will I make it out to the Isle of Man? Don't even know, man. That's a long way to go. <laughs> I'd have done it in Yorkshire if I'd known. I might do one of these in Yorkshire, actually. But credit to them. Uh, March 26th, Jamie Shakiva makes his debut. Anyone that's going up to Wembley and you need tickets and you want to route them through one of the boxers, 
contact Whole Nine Management. If you're on Instagram or social media, it's at W Nine Management. Yeah, they'll they'll hook you up with some tickets. I need to get mine sorted through them as well. Um, I will definitely be there. It's a nightmare because I've committed to my ticket, and then my friend tells me he's having a birthday party on the same night. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Y'all, y'all, y'all give me better notice, man. Like, it's looking like an intense weekend. And then Big Dominic boxes on the Sunday, March 27th at York Hall. And I'm a glutton for punishment. So yes, I am probably going to go and watch. And I'm going to leave the house believing Dominic is still the greatest heavyweight ever. And I'm going to go home crying, as I always do. But this is just what we do. But yeah, so I'll, I'll try and get to that one as well. And I think that might be the bulk of my boxing activity for March, to be honest with you. Uh, and on that note, I've talked for absolutely ages. I'm going to go outside and try and take this rusty, broken-ass body out for a walk to see if I can start reactivating stuff. So until the next time, people, have a fantastic weekend. And remember, like, support, share, let's, let's keep growing this platform because it does nothing but good. Take care. Bye.